All right. So I spent the last 10 weeks getting used to preaching to the little camera that's in front of me, which is all of you at home. And now, after 10 weeks of not being here, we, we have the technology to bring us back to our church facility, to have our worship team. Um, it, it, it was a very emotional experience for me to be able to worship here, uh, no longer wearing Saul's armor, so to speak. I, I have to learn who to address in the crowd because now we have uh, some people actually in front of me when I'm used to having Nick, the cameraman, exclusively in front of me. Um, it, this time is always, this, this week is always a very emotional week for me. And so my emotions did catch up with me during the, the worship time. Um, you know, th- Wednesday was the 13-year anniversary of Anna, me, and Grace coming to Grace Point Church. The rest of the kids were born into the church, so it might not be as significant for them. Probably Grace doesn't remember. Um, and it's also Memorial Day weekend, and so it's a time of always great reflection for me. And so as we transition back to the church, I, you know, I have the camera, which I've gotten used to, and now there's about you know, 13 people or whatever in front of me, which is kind of what we started with. And so I have my two worlds. So I'm used to, to preaching to a small crowd, and now I, I've been grown accustomed to preaching to a camera. Um, so this is kind of, we've been saying welcome to Grace Point Virtual Church. Now this is Virtual Church 2.0. Um, we're, we're getting closer. And please uh, comment in the, the feed where we've made some adjustments. We'll continue to live stream on Wednesdays to, uh, to really acclimate the sound and get everything up and running so that uh, as we come back and we provide the live stream for those who aren't ready to come back, uh, that it will be better quality. So it's a, a learning curve. If, if uh, today, for whatever reason, the video is not working well, like normal, we will have the audio sermon up and available after, uh, after today when it gets up and done, like normal. Uh, today, I almost did a special message, I, uh, a, a part two of civil disobedience from last week. I actually have that sermon all prepared. I was going to go through 1 Samuel 24 last night at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. I decided to scrap it and to come back to our text in Mark. I, but with, with a little bit of an extended announcement, um, which I think is required to address um, some of the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Uh, my request is that we all would continue to pray for our church through this situation um, I believe that God has heard our prayers and has moved through the President of the United States to restore the civil li- liberties that, have been, that we have been depraved of as a church meeting. Um, this week, some huge things happened. On Tuesday, the Department of Justice sent a letter to our governor and the governor of Minnesota, or Michigan, I think maybe another. I don't know all the other governors that were sent a letter, but our governor in particular was sent a letter. In addition to the letter, the President of the United States addressed the nation on, on, on Friday, uh, speaking very clearly and directly to the governors of the nation to op- open up churches and places of worship this Sunday. Uh, he did not mince words, um, and Governor Newsom responded that he would, he would address it on Monday. And so my prayer is that he would heed the warning of the, the President of the United States 
um, so that we would be able to move forward as a congregation um, in a way that's safe for us as a body, just like any other business that's open. However, every other business is not the same of religious freedom that our nation was founded upon. Uh, Be praying that we know how to submit biblically in this situation. It is not a simple question to answer. Um, The question, who do we submit to? I recognize with the president's declaration on Friday, we literally are moving into the territory that the Civil War happened upon. The president declared that slavery was wrong. The states in the South said we have the freedom to declare our, our, what we can do. And so now we're in very precarious ground, and my prayer is that the governors and, and our leaders would respond in a way so that we can move forward without conflict. It, there's difficult questions. Is it civil disobedience to follow the President of the United States and the Department of Justice? I don't think so. Is it civil disobedience to follow the governor of the state of California if he goes against the Department of Justice and the President of the United States? I don't think so. Is it civil disobedience to follow the, the San Diego County Board of Supervisors if they go against the governor or the President of the United States. I don't know. Like, this is getting really difficult. Last night, I was so stressed out that I said, I'm going to take my family. I'm going to go walk on the beach and clear my mind. I'm walking to the beach in Oceanside, and there's signs that are flashing. Don't sit down. Don't, have a, don't put your, place your chairs there. Simultaneously, the chief of police of Oceanside says, that he is not going to enforce the guidelines that have been put forth. People were sitting all along the beach. Police officers were there totally fine with them sitting on the beach. The lifeguards were totally fine with people sitting on the beach. The point, no matter what we do at this point, it feels like we're going to be going against some authority that's been placed over us. Biblical submission is not as clear-cut as we would like it to be in this beautiful nation of ours that has given the power to the people. I recognize that whatever we do, we're going to upset some. If we're lucky enough, we'll upset everybody. I I, I know it's it's just the, the role. At this point, where I am, my conscience from last Sunday has shifted significantly In all of my research, you know, on Thursday, 11 weeks ago, when David Wojnicki, the senior pastor of the community church, called me and said, are you guys having church on Sunday? I'm like, yeah, of course we're having church on Sunday. What are you even talking about? He's like, there's something going on. They're talking about shutting down the nation, the state, the city. Little did I know that we would suspend services. That was 11 weeks ago. And then as we've progressed in this sort of where we voluntarily shut down for, for flattening the curve, things shifted where it wasn't voluntary, it was mandatory. And that's a huge distinction. And I'm not a, I'm not a constitutional attorney. There's, this is going to be settled in courts. But in my decision, sort of on the May 31st thing that I was grappling with just last Sunday, or it was Thursday, when I was grappling with it, one of the individuals that really uh, convinced me not to, to go that direction based on civil disobedience was John MacArthur at Grace Community Church. He made a very compelling argument not to resist the authorities based on where we are. 
Friday after the president made his announcement and the DOJ sent his letter to the, the president, John MacArthur, and his church, they are meeting today. He said, based on that, the, the, the President of the United States has spoken, the Constitution has spoken, the Department of Justice has spoken. Now this is going to lead to all, literally, what the Civil War was based upon, states' rights over certain issues. At this point, my conscience is clear that the President has spoken, the, the Constitution has what it says, the Department of Justice has spoken, me in clear conscience and following God, I'm comfortable moving forward. We didn't have services today because I want to be gracious. Uh, I keep thinking of David when God gave him the opportunity. In Samuel chapter 15, I believe, Saul was removed as a leader of Israel. Then David was anointed, but through that process, uh, David continued. It's the only place in the Bible I can think that has a similar sort of uh, connection. to, to David was the anointed king. David was the actual king, but had been removed by God. He was in the cave in, in 24, and there was another situation in chapter 26 where David cut his robe. And so he's trying to find that balance of, of right and wrong, and it's not easy. Uh, the, tension, the tension upon essential purpose of the church is real. What I'm about to share with you all is a prayer request, and I have permission to share this as of this morning, to show you the tension that I'm under. This morning or yesterday, I've received a call for, from Helene, Rashia, whose husband is on hospice and is going to die in the next two days. They want a pastor to go and to pray over him. Right now, Governor Newsom says it's illegal for me to go to that home where she is alone with her husband dying to not pray over them. Tell me if it's essential or not. If you were in her shoes, if you were in my shoes, what would you do? I'm not going to not go pray with this poor woman whose husband is dying before her eyes. This is a line in the sand that I'm going to, like, I'll step over. You can judge me if you want. But these are the shoes I'm in. This poor woman is in her house with her husband and be praying. Pray to God that our government recognizes the importance of churches and religious organizations in our nation. I believe that we are very close to opening. I believe that this time next Sunday, Governor Newsom will, will heed and that, that churches will be able to open up in the state of California. We have very gifted people in our congregation who have reviewed everything, making the congregation as safe as possible. We have chairs set up. It'll be a re reservation-based sort of thing, so you'll know exactly where to walk in, where to sit down with big names on your seat, and you'll be able to, to leave in a safe manner and if you're not comfortable, that, that is fine. We're, we're going out of our way to provide a live stream opportunity so that you can participate in a virtual way, which in my heart, it, outside of the coronavirus, outside of these times, my, my conviction is not to hold church view through cameras. When I read the New Testament, I see that the church is a gathering of people together doing certain things. And so once we get through this, whenever that is that this coronavirus thing is, we will likely go back to just audio recordings. 
because from a biblical perspective, it's the gathering. And if you can't make it, that's great. We'll provide the audio for you. But it's not a substitute for the biblical command to gather with one another. Today is also, or this weekend is also, Memorial Day weekend. And so we pray for those in our nation who have lost loved ones, for children who are still going through their lives without their mom or dad, um, for those that are suffering the loss of dear friends that they've lost in combat. I am one of them. There are, unfortunately, in our nation, there are many of us who have lost loved ones. And so we remember those that have made great sacrifices for the freedoms that we enjoy in this nation. Our nation is like no other nation. And I truly am thankful to be an American and that God has placed us in this great place where we have the freedom to worship our God as we see fit. And I'm thankful for the founders of our nation that, that they, they, they broke the mold in what nations look like. And so with that little rant, it's not really a rant, I have a whole lot more to say, but I'm not going to continue. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, and we'll continue our study through the Gospel of Mark. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this great nation which we were born into. Uh, Some of us might have relocated here. We thank you for the opportunities that are made available to us in this nation. We thank you for the protection. We thank you for our government. This, it's just genius, the, 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 the multiple branches of government at, at 50 different levels nationally and then in each state for checks and balances, for those that can make laws, for those who govern, for those who keep the laws in check. It, it's, I don't know how they created this. And so... I am just grateful that I was born here and that I live under this, this government. And Father, more than ever, we do pray that for our nation. We pray for our president. We pray for the Congress. We pray for the Senate. We pray for all of those leaders across the board who are seeking to lead our country through this, this pandemic. We pray for the first responders, the doctors, the medical workers, the scientists who are trying to come up with a vaccine. We pray for the people of our country, Lord, who are uh, just so frozen with fear. We know that you are a God of peace, and I pray, Lord, that you would touch each individual, Lord, that is struggling with fear, that you would give them your peace, Lord. Help them to come to a saving relationship with Jesus. Father, as we turn our attention to the Gospel of Mark, we ask that you would Uh, lead us through this text, that you would help us uh, to see what uh, Mark is writing about, this story about this woman and the betrayal of Judas. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman 
with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would help us now navigate this text. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. So we start with here in the text. Now, the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, and this is something that, that every Jewish person, even to this day, celebrates. It's, it's one of the huge feasts. Um, it was commanded in Exodus 12. We're not going to review the whole story of Exodus 12, but just to sort of a, a, a recap, uh, Israel had found themselves in slavery for, for many years, and while in slavery, their conditions got worse and worse and worse. They cried out to their God, and through that account, God delivered them from the hands of Pharaoh, and they were brought into the promised land after some wanderings. And so as they were delivered from the hands of Israel, or, or excuse me, delivered from the hands of Egypt, God said that perpetually into the future, you will do this celebration to remember and to reflect upon what I have done for you in bringing you out of slavery. Um, through this, I keep laughing. I'm like, maybe when we get out of the coronavirus, we'll have a coronavirus day and we'll celebrate getting into freedom. You know, I know, I know I'm ready for it. I don't know about you, but I, I definitely am. Um, the, the point is that this was, a, th- this was a glorious time for them to remember, to stop what they were doing, to reflect upon God's faithfulness and how he delivered them in, into the promised land. Uh, the, the whole nation was to pause for seven days to celebrate, to re- just to give God all the glory and to praise him and, and to enjoy life. Um, as I think about just this truth in this passage, is God delivered them, and I'm confident that he's going to see us through this and deliver us out of the, the coronavirus uh, pandemic, uh, whether it's the virus you're concerned about or the government that you're worried about or both. Like I trust that God will see us through this. Um, We've been deprived of gathering together for a long time now, and so I long for the day that God will restore our ability to worship. And and once that happens, I think that there'll be a whole new appreciation for the beauty of the church and the splendor of being able to gather and to worship with one another, um, sort of what the Passover was all about. And then we read, and the chiefs and the scribes, 
were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. And so in the midst of this high holy holiday, this was the pinnacle of of their holidays. In the midst of this, those who were supposed to be the religious leaders of the nation of Israel, here we have the priests and the scribes, the men who were given the responsibility and privilege to lead the people spiritually, to point them to God, to to give them hope. In the midst of this, the the, the height of their hypocrisy is, it, it stinks really bad. Here they are plotting in the midst of this holiday, plotting to murder an innocent man who was also the Messiah. And I think that there is a huge warning to us uh, for self-righteousness. You don't see it when you have it, but it's seen by everybody else. They're not humble. Um, we, we can fall into this trap. History is riddled with examples of, of quote-unquote religious people who are acting totally unrighteously and not honoring God. And so I, don't, I personally don't want to be that guy. It's part of the reason I didn't just rush to like have services this Sunday because I want to, to err in the sight of grace, allow the governor to speak so that we can come out of this prayerfully in a way that, we're in a, that, that we can align with all of the governments that are over us, all of the authorities, not all the governments. And so they're back here planning. They, they recognize the, the tension of the people, which I'm sure this is just like our politicians today. They, there's an election coming up, if you guys didn't notice. And in the midst of this, all the people are not unrest. There are those who are afraid. There are those who want the freedoms back. There are all sorts of things. And, it, and these people in these levels are trying to make their decisions about what's going to get them the most votes and, and how are they going to get people happy. And these guys are the same way. They want to get Jesus. They want to execute him. They want to kill him. But at the same time, Jerusalem had people descended upon it to do their worship. And they recognized that Jesus has this huge following. And if they were to execute him publicly, this would result in a riot, which then ultimately would take away their power because Rome would then come down on them. And so Mark, as he often does through the Gospel of Mark, he, he has this, uh, there, there's, a, there's a sandwich sort of style in his teaching where he begins something and then he inserts something that seems unrelated and then he concludes the thought. And so in verses 1 and 2, we begin the thought. In verse 10, we'll see that their thought's going to come to fruition, that the plan is going to come together of how they're going to do this because Judas, one of Jesus' very own, is going to turn on Jesus. But John, or Mark, shifts the story. We, we find ourselves in Bethany while he was in Bethany. This is about a mile away. Uh, as far as I can tell, Jesus never, I, Jesus never, I was going to say Jesus never spent a night in Jerusalem except for the night when he was executed and buried in a grave. That's sort of the only nights he spent there. We see that while he goes to Jerusalem, he always sort of retreated in the evening to go to Bethany. And we're told that while he was in Bethany, the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table. And so it's, it's thought that this Simon the leper is believed to be Lazarus' father. We believe that the woman in the story is, is a Mary. I'm not going to go into all of those details because Mark leaves them out. Uh, we're told that he's, he's in Bethany. We're two days away from his execution. 
He's at Simon the leper's house and he's reclining at the table. And the first thing I see is Simon the leper. Certainly Simon didn't have leprosy at the time of this writing. But it's like no matter where he goes in his life, his past follows him. He was always identified as Simon the leper. Uh, I, I, I certainly don't know if you felt this. I know that I feel this. As I plan on going to the graves tomorrow of my buddies at Fort Rosecrans, I'm going to bump into old teammates there. And no matter what I do, I've now been a pastor for longer than I was a SEAL. And, and that's like a totally old life for me. But they see me and it's like, hey, Gunner, remember when? And it's like, oh, man, my kids are here. Like, stop it. Like, what are you? Like, I, I, I was a SEAL for 12 years. I've now been a, a pastor for like 15 years. So I have a pretty good track record. But, but for, for me, it's always like I'll either be Gunner the Runner or, you know, the Dirty Bird or like whatever my nicknames were during that time. And they'll reha- I, can't, I can't rewrite history. Like I have these tattoos from that life and I'm not ever judging other people's tattoos, but my tattoos were from a previous life. And the reality is I, I can't change history. And I praise God for that because when I look at my tattoos, it's a reminder of the transformation that he's done in my life. And they're a reminder to me about his grace and his goodness and what he's done for me. Simon was the same way. And so for you that have re- received Christ as your Savior and you've been transformed, you can't change your past. God doesn't want you to change your past. He wants you to become the new creature that he created to walk new in him. Satan will try to use the past to bring you down. But it's about what Jesus did on the cross for you, not what you do in your present life. And so I praise God. And so here Jesus is. It's, he's two days away from the execution. Certainly he knew what was coming. He, the, his whole life was marked by the words, my time hasn't come yet, my time hasn't come yet. Suddenly, earlier in Mark at Caesarea, he starts telling him, hey, my time has come. I'm going to be executed. I don't know how you would be handling life. Like I've seen how we've been handling life in the fear of the pandemic. But what if the whole world knew that, hey, you're going to die in two days? I don't even want to imagine that world. Maybe toilet paper wouldn't be as important. But, um, but I can't imagine the widespread panic. And here there's just this picture of Jesus reclining at the table, chilling out. Like, everything's okay. And I think that there's a huge lesson in this, in my life, trying to navigate this. Yeah, the Lord's in control. Everything will be just fine. We'll get through this. And as he's reclining at the, at the table with his disciples, we're told that a woman, <clears throat> there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. So this woman is unidentified. We believe her to be Mary not his mother. Um, this, this, this perfume, it's very costly. Um, we, we, we see numbers. I'm not sure if I, it's coming, but, but we know this is about a year's salary uh, of the working, the average day labor or whatever. But just sort of imagine what your year salary is and put it in a bottle. This stuff was expensive. Um, this... This was not something that they used on just like for perfume to go out in town. 
This was often a family heirloom that was passed on from one generation to the, the next generation. It could be viewed almost as like a, the ultimate emergency fund. Um, often when it was used, it was used to anoint the body for burial. If you think about uh, some of the blessings that we have in this day and age, I don't often think of a mortician as being like a blessing to our society. Um, but, you know, people are going, to, I have a friend from high school and her daughter's like going to, like she just graduated high school and she's going to mortician school. And I'm like, what? That's just different, you know? Like I didn't think that would be like a thing still. But, but think about the blessing of morticians that prepare the bodies and deal with this, the things that come with death. They didn't have that back then. And so they would break this very pungent oil perfume over the body to sort of counteract the smells as for days that they had to deal with the body. Um, often this was used as a dowry when, when a girl was being married, it would be used to sort of the, I didn't get one, so I don't know how it really works, but it's kind of like in the exchange of the wife, there'd be something that would be exchanged and, and, and this perfume would be something that would be used in that exchange. It would be an acceptable exchange. And this girl goes and she breaks it on his head. Like this whole, this, this, this whole scene. I, I start this scene with like I'm trying to put myself in Jesus' shoes. And if somebody came and put a bunch of perfume on my head that's like pungent perfume, I would not be happy about this. Like I, I would not be gracious. Um, like I, I already know that when, when people ask me to, to pray over them with oil, I'm always like very gentle with the oil. Like, okay, I don't want to get it in your hair. I'll just be, you know. So I'm like, no, really gob it in there. It's like, okay, if you want me to, I'll just like, I'll do it. But that's sort of the image that I'm dealing with and looking at this. And as she does this, I don't know if she barges in. In verse four we read, but some were indignantly remarking to one another. John tells, John tells us it was Judas that was like furious about this. They were remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? And the first thing that comes out to me is like, it wasn't their stuff. If somebody else wants to take their stuff and dispose of it or trash it or whatever they want, it's their stuff. It's not your stuff. And so like, first off, right away, is she has a right to do whatever she wants with her stuff. Now, Jesus might be upset with her because he, she just dumped all the stuff on him. But here we have Judas and the disciples they are sort of like indignant. And not only that, the for this, they say for this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii. And so they're saying, um, oh, we should probably go back to reminding people about cell phones and stuff. You know, it's like, this is like a new thing. We're back in your living room. You can have that. So I don't know if you guys heard it, but it's no big deal. Um, but where were we? They're, they're saying she wasted it. We could have sold this for $300. We, we could have had a good return on this. We could have taken it. We could have, uh, we could have used it uh, to give to the poor. And they're, they're scolding her. So they are condemning this woman. And, and so first off, like, as we look at this scene, we have the disciples. They're mad. Like Mark records it that they're all mad. She, we don't really know who she is according to Mark. Jesus is about to respond. I just wonder how this girl is reacting. She went, and I don't even know her motive of, like there's great debate in the theological world. Did this lady have insight to what she was doing? Did she know the crucifixion of Jesus was coming? Or was the Spirit of God moving in her way to do this and she was being used without even knowing why she was doing it? We, we, we can't answer that question. 
But we do have how Jesus responded. And so in verse 6, Jesus said, like, leave the girl alone. Like, stop picking on her, guys. Why are you bothering her? She has done a good deed to me. So first thing we see is that Jesus protects this woman who worships him in a way that comes across sort of in an inappropriate way um, to those that were there. He continues in verse 7, and he says, For you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And so the first thought I have is it's super easy to criticize others. It's super easy to criticize how other people are worshiping God, how others are making decisions. Um, especially in the light of this, how churches respond. Ed Stetzer made a tweet yesterday. I don't have it written down, but it's like, hey, if you, if you open your churches, you, you hate your neighbors. If, if you don't open your church, you're a total coward. Um, I have a, a friend who's a good buddy that's a pastor up in, up in Lake Elsinore, and, and I, I've been consulting him, and, and I'm like, man, this... Don't you remember when we used to struggle over should we have services on Sunday when Christmas fell on Sunday? And, and we both were like, oh man, I wish I'd have those days. And that was a situation where he opted to cancel services and I opted to have services. And I'm like, oh man, I wish we could go back to just dealing with the struggle of do we have church on Sunday when there's Christmas or not? That seems super easy. And I know that amongst pastors who are grappling with leading churches through this, oh, there's a whole lot of grace amongst pastors. It's like, ah, there's just, it's tough. And there's no simple answer. And here they are, Jesus is protecting her. They're not doing anything. They could do whatever they want with their stuff. They have their money. They could be going out and helping the poor with their stuff. They're not doing it. They're just criticizing what she did and said, oh, they could, she could have done it with this. And so I think it's really easy to, to criticize others. And I think Jesus' response to this lady is a lesson for us if we put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, to not be so quick to judge others and how they move forward and how they decide to worship God. Um, What she did, Jesus says, she has anointed my body for burial. The reminder that Jesus didn't forget what's happening in two days. The disciples might have, and he reminds them, listen, guys, I'm going to the cross. This woman has come in here, and she's anointed my body for burial. And I tell you, as I've looked at this story, I don't think I have ever put associated um, the crucifixion story with the smell of Jesus' body before. I don't know how I missed this. But if you've ever had something really smelly get on you, like I, I think of uh, cleaning fish, like fish guts. I think of working with garlic when you're busting up garlic. And no matter how you wash your hands, the garlic, that's a good one. Fish guts doesn't smell good. Our garlic feels, smells good to me. Um, I've been to the Middle East where they have this really smelly oil. I think of barbecue, that if you're standing over the barbecue smoke and stuff, like this, you smell the smoke for days. It's a, really, it's a sacrifice of love. You know, John's here. I really appreciate his, uh, his sacrificing for us in that way when we have church barbecues. But imagine that through the whole process of Jesus' arrest, the beatings that he took while he's dying on the cross, he would get the smell of that oil that she poured on him. Like there's no showers between this and the crucifixion. And it's a powerful thought. Smells have a powerful thought. In our mind, when you smell something, you're like, 
It takes me back to somewhere. I can't figure out where it takes me back to, but it takes me back. And so this smell is now associated with Jesus' execution. And Jesus says in verse 9, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken in memory of her. Her actions now linked her story to Jesus' story. And Jesus says throughout eternity, when they speak of the execution, when they speak of the cross, they're going to speak of this woman whose story is now woven into my story. Have you thought about that, that your story could be woven into the story of Jesus' story? It really depends on if you choose to or not choose to. If you live your life for Christ and you live your way in in a way that's honoring and pleasing to him, your story becomes linked to him. I know Christ not because of, I read the Bible or I watched something on TV. I, I know Christ because a friend had linked his story to Jesus' story. And because I knew that friend and I knew his story, when his story was connected to Jesus' story, suddenly I was more open to the story of Jesus. And it's a powerful thought to think that you could link your life to Jesus' life. As I look at this woman in application, the question that we should be asking, what, what can you sacrifice to the Lord? This late, I, I, I cannot imagine. Like if we're honest in this whole story, who do I identify with? I identify with Judas. I mean, I, like around my house. Like my kids are always making fun of me because I've been on like a super huge grape eating like flurry in the last year. Like I really have like come to love grapes. I take my grapes really seriously. And there's nothing more maddening to me that when I see unfinished grapes laying around the house, because if they get soggy, they're no good to me anymore. I think of light switches. Like, I go around turning off light switches like every dad in America, because it's, like, wasteful. And none of that stuff costs a year's salary. And so if there's, like, something that's worth a year's salary just, like, broken in this way that you can't recover, if I'm honest, I'd be, I'm more closer to Judas, and probably all of us are. And so the really convicting for me and this woman, what am I willing to sacrifice in following Christ? Because he's asking that we give him our all because he's given everything for us. It's something for us to think through, something for us to pray through. And then this beautiful story of this woman is abruptly ended, or it goes back to the beginning. Judas Iscariot and his temper tantrum or whatever Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this, and they promised to give him money. Can you imagine these guys all of a sudden? Who is it? Judas Iscariot with Jesus. Oh, yeah, we'd like to talk to you. We don't know how the conversation went, but Judas is like, listen, I'm one of his inner twelve. I can get you access I can get you access to him. 30 shekels. Like, this, this is like offering him a, a $20 bill. He's criticizing a woman who gave up a year's salary in worshiping Jesus. He says he would give it to the poor. Now he's turning on Jesus for, for 20 bucks or buck 50. Don't, don't quote me on the price. I have no idea. It's, it's nothing. And so they began seeking how, they, how to betray him at an opportune time. It's just really, it's sad. When I look at the conclusion, 
to sort of wrapping up, when I look at this story, there's, there's the chief priests who are the religious leaders. We have Judas, who is one of the 12. The, these guys had super great benefits provided to them to lead the nation, to lead the people towards God. And to think how dark and evil and backwards they were towards the things of God, it's, it should serve as a real warning for those of us who follow Christ because it's really easy to make our agenda Jesus' agenda, not make Jesus' agenda our agenda. And I see this woman's act of like radical worship. Um, I can see how this woman's act of radical worship can play into the narrative of the story that, that we're living in the midst of the coronavirus. Um, my heart is deeply concerned for the churches in the United States, particularly in the world. We are living out Romans 14 unlike any other time in history. And if we're not careful as the church and as the church in the United States, this can be used as a foothold by the devil to divide the church, which he wants nothing more to do. And so I'd encourage each one of us not, not to contribute to this. I can assure you that pastors are giving it their all. Pastors don't end up in the ministry for unpure reasons. And unfortunately, some pastors already in this coronavirus have have been broken. There's one major well-known, I should, well-known pastor in the East Coast who committed suicide in front of his family because he was so broken and, and overwhelmed by the stress and the pull of the people in his congregation and the nation and how to handle this. Like, I want you to know that I am sacrificing my life for the Lord and I am desiring to, to be pleasing to him and everything that I do and that we do as a church. And so for some of you, great faith means that go, it, 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 your great sacrifice that this woman gave, it will mean for you sacrificing your freedom as an American, saying, you know what, I don't agree with this. I'm willing to sacrifice my, the liberties that have been afforded to me. I'm going to honor God because I just really want these pieces to fall into place. For some of you, great faith means submitting in a way that goes, um, that goes, that, what I, I got, I lost my place here. It means, it means persecution and judgment. I was going to read the same thing over again. And so the, fir- the first thing, for some of you, it means that I'm going to give up my liberty. I, I, I've heard of one church that said, we're not going to meet again until after the new year because we really want to be careful in this. I'm not going to judge them. There are other churches that have met all the way through this in California. I'm not going to judge them because some of us, the, the faith means that we're going to submit in a way that means that we're going to rile how the world feels about us. Jesus in John 17, when he's praying for the church, he says the world will hate you. And so some will say, you know, I'm going to, we're going to move forward and we're going to, we're going to respond in, in this way because we're, we're not going to neglect the calling that God has placed in our life, and I don't care what the world thinks about us. For others, 
it's that you want to do both of these things and you're in a terrible bind. Like say, Lord, I want to honor the authorities. I want to worship with you and I don't know how to like meet in the middle. Like everybody agrees that we're in unprecedented times and these are not easy times to navigate. Um, The one thing I know is that I want to honor the woman. I want to honor the Lord as this woman did. Even if I don't exactly know what it looks like at this very moment, and I know that whatever I feel led to do, it's going to result in pushback one way or the other. And so my prayer is that we as a church would truly humble ourselves before the Lord, that we would pray and that we would have wisdom and that we would have grace for those that, that, that maybe don't see it the same way as you do. That's okay. The politicians don't agree. The doctors don't agree. The scientists don't agree. The police officers don't agree. Like, everybody's in confusion. So to think that this isn't going to bleed into the church, that would be foolish. And so we need grace in moving forward. And as I, I'm going to close in prayer, the worship team's going to come up and sing the last song. Um, but I keep thinking about that song, Lord, I Need You. And, and that really is the prayer for this. So I'm going to pray, and the worship team's going to come forward. I'll just wait for them to come up, and, they can, and then I'll pray once they're up here. So... Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to lead us and guide us as a body of believers. We, we look to this woman, Lord, who gave her all. She made this huge sacrifice, and I'm not even sure that she understood what she was doing. But the Lord saw it and gave her credit for this, this wonderful gift of anointing her body for burial. Father, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on you. Lord, that we would keep focused. I pray that you would give us wisdom as we navigate these times. It certainly is not simple, Lord, knowing uh, who biblically to submit to. We do know, Lord, that each individual will land differently, and that's okay. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to be united even in differences of opinion. Lord, as, John, as Jesus prayed in John 17, Lord, that as we unite with one another, the world will know that we're of you. And so, Father, we ask that you would be glorified in all that we do. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.